Welcome to Mock 10 Sports on this December 7th, 2023 episode. Glad you could join us. Let's get right to it. If you're liking what you're seeing, if you're liking this content, college fo- SEC football, SEC basketball, SEC baseball, like and subscribe. You can find us on all your podcast pl- uh, platforms, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can come about our group. You, you can come upon it, stumble upon it. You don't have time to watch the video. Have it your car. Most, most of my buddies listen to this show on the car from people I've talked to. 99% of people. We'll get some people on YouTube. Big on Twitter. Getting a lot of views on Twitter. But again, go like, subscribe, rate, comment. Again, I'm a guy, Dave Schumate, worked in college football for 10 years, four different SEC schools, graduated from the University of Alabama, worked there as a student. I feel like I have a good pulse on college athletics, specifically college football. But again, we're going to cover college basketball and college baseball, specifically the SEC as well. And we'll be glad to jo- have two new teams joining us next season, Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners. So we welcome all new listeners as well. Comment, send me a text, put in the group, tell me where you're from, ask any questions you want. But let's get to it. This is one of the more well-rounded episodes I think we're going to have. It really is. I think we got a lot of portal talk, as you can assume. There's been a ton of kids go in since Sunday on December 4th when the portal officially opened, or on Monday, sorry, Sunday at midnight. Still have that college football mind working. Some portal stuff to talk about. We have some changes in college football that need to happen. The two specific things I'm going to tell you that we got to change. And again, I'm not one of those doomsday people. I don't think college football is in a bad spot. I mean, viewership. We'll tell you differently. Did you see the numbers for the SEC championship game? Viewership's through the roof. It, it's through the roof right now. I think you're always going to have your diehards, but you got to keep some of those casuals, casual fans. But again, college football's in a great spot. Some would argue best ever. It's just for these people that are kind of stuck in the older times, new ways. It takes a while to get adjusted. Now, I think that'll be fine. But again, college football, look at the numbers. It's doing fantastic numbers right now. Former coach Bill Bush, been around the block. He suggested a, a uh, uh, situation I, or he suggested a plan that I thought would be interesting from a name image likeness standpoint, talking about make plays get paid. We'll talk about that. NCAA's president, first year, Bill Baker, his proposal. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a great start to something. I'll address that, tell you what he talked about. Then we have the biggest weekend of the season so far, in my opinion, from an SEC basketball standpoint on the hardwood. We're going to have Max Barr, from Southeastern 14 joining us. I mean, again, the lineup's through the roof. I mean, you got Illinois at Tennessee kicking us off in the morning. You got Kansas State, LSU, another solid game. Alabama at Purdue in Toronto, one of the headliners. Auburn at Indiana in the Hoops Giving Classic in Atlanta. Arkansas, Oklahoma again. And Missouri, Kansas, the border war. And then throw in the Richmond, Florida game. It's, it's, it's up there with Feast Weeks. It's, it's one of the best just single days we've had in the SEC. But again, Max Barr does a fantastic job covering uh, the SEC from a basketball standpoint for Southeastern 14. He is going to join us. And with that being said right now, I am going to send him this link right now just so I don't forget before he gets on. There we go. We have sent it right there. But let's get right to it. Around the SEC, just throwing some names out again. was kind of structuring how I wanted to do the transfer portal. I don't want to be reading all these names and giving you stats like that. I'm going to give you the SEC guys' names that are in the portal and either some commits uh, that the SEC is going to pick up. I'll throw some team names in that uh, I've brought up, that are like Juice Wells, for example, and bring up some schools that are involved in that. So, again, I didn't want to go through stats. He's made 68 starts. You don't really care. I'm just bringing up some names so you can just have a feel. I really think this is one of the more top-heavy, best players from a top-to-bottom standpoint. Nah, maybe I shouldn't say top-to-bottom, but definitely top-heavy that we've seen in a while. I mean, you got Walter Nolan, I mean, first-round Interior defensive linemen don't go like that. Chris McClellan from Florida, who I think is a solid interior guy, had a good game against Tennessee. Go put the film on. He's in the portal. I think it's a lot of got a lot of good top heavy guys on there. Whoops, sorry, we lost our. There we go. Lost our screen for a minute. Uh, but I'm going to read this list. Leading off, Florida running back Trevor Etienne. He's entering. That's Travis Etienne's running uh, brother. That happened today. He's entering the portal. You got Juice Wells, wide receiver from South Carolina. I just mentioned him. He's in the portal. Sounds like he's going to leave South Carolina. They talking to some people over there. They they accepted that. And then you're going to have Ole Miss, 
There we go. Oh, sorry about the background. It sounds like it's going to be between Ole Miss, Tennessee, Texas, and Oregon. If you follow social media, you see Lane Kiffin was in Columbia. He was also in Fayetteville, Arkansas yesterday, but just kind of trolling, sending out picks. They're trying to meet with him there. Remember, you got college coaches going on other campuses right now trying to meet with kids. But Juice Wells leaving South Carolina, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Texas, Oregon are the teams to keep an eye on. Addison Nichols, a depth guy for Tennessee's offensive line, he's in the portal. Malik Chavis has played a decent bit for the Arkansas secondary. You've heard his name. Fuck, he's been around college football for a while. He is leaving Arkansas. Jake Johnson, Max Johnson's brother, Mer tight end. Max Johnson's already heading to North Carolina. Well, Jake Johnson from Texas A&M, tight end. He's entering the portal as well. You're going to notice a lot of Texas A&M guys. Brock Vandergriff, we mentioned last episode, officially committed to Kentucky, backup quarterback for Georgia. That can only really tell me one thing. I think Carson Beck's going to come back. I think he's going to get the dollar amount he wants from Georgia. Going to pass up the NFL draft, which is probably the smart decision. It's a deep NFL draft. Bring your stock up a little bit because he didn't have the greatest game against Alabama. He didn't. It just is what it is. But I think he could have a better year coming off that. Again, Brock Vandergriff. Xavion Thomas, one of Mississippi State's better wide receivers. Sounds like it's down to LSU and Auburn. Raheem Rocket Sanders, we all know him, one of the better running backs in the SEC, banged up a lot this year. He's entering the portal. Maybe he's dipping his toes in the portal to say, hey, see maybe what Arkansas can get me here. How, how much money can I get from Arkansas? It's what a lot of these guys do. They don't just think they're entering their portal and they're for sure staying in. I reached out to some of my contacts at Ohio State. I know this is an SEC show, but if you follow college football at all, Kyle McCord, the starting quarterback at Ohio State, entered the portal I reached out to someone I know and trust over at Iowa State. They said, hey, he's just dipping his toes in the water to see what his value is. And, again, your value is whatever somebody's willing to pay you. Whatever they say you're worth is what your value is. So if someone's offering him $2 million to come there, he's going to go back to Ohio State and be, I want to pay two hundred. I want to. I want you to pay me $2 million. Ohio State says no. They're like, well, I'm going to go handle it. I'm going to go take care of that. Because that's what somebody is telling him his value is. You are what someone's willing to pay you. Uh, Grayson Mims, offensive lineman from South Carolina, made a few starts this year. Chase Basantis, one of the true freshmen, offensive lineman from Texas A&M, redshirt freshman, I actually think. Struggled a little bit, but again, offensive tackles are hard to come by. I forget the Southern Miss kid that's in the portal. Southern Miss wasn't great up front. This kid's just okay if you go watch his film, but he's got all for A&M's interested, Ole Miss is interested. Remember, defensive tackles, edge rushers, offensive linemen are hard to come by at all levels of football. So everybody's going to go probably – a level above they probably should. Kid probably should stay at Southern Miss. But again, people are in need of tackles. Again, that's why Walter Nolan's going through the roof right now. There's not a lot of disruptive interior first-round defensive tackles in the portal. It just doesn't happen. Uh, you got Tyler Fromm. Yes, Jake Fromm's brother, the former Georgia quarterback, Tyler Fromm, tied in from Auburn, entered the portal. DeMarco Williams, safety from Ole Miss, he has entered the portal. I think you got LT Overton, defensive tackle from Texas A&M. Remember, you're going to hear the name Texas A&M. A lot. Uh, Micaiah Overton, defensive lineman from Texas A&M. He's in there as well. We mentioned it. Walter Nolan, defensive tackle, officially in. We mentioned it on Monday's show that he may be in, but it's official now. He is officially in the portal. So there you go. Starting corner, Tyreek Ch Chappelle. Chappelle, cornerback from Texas A&M. He's in it as well. Remember, a lot of Texas A&M kids. Chris McClellan, I told you. From Florida, I just mentioned, he's one of my favorite players in the portal. Had a great game against Tennessee earlier. Had one of the main reasons Tennessee couldn't get that run game going after that first drive back in September. Sounds like he's between down to Arkansas and Oklahoma. He is an Oklahoma kid. I remember we were recruiting him when I was at Texas A&M. He is an Oklahoma kid, so Oklahoma would make sense. He, I guess he could technically stay in the SEC. Reginald Hughes, outside linebacker from Ole Miss. Marquise Gilbert, big junior college, probably the number – I think he was the number one Juco safety two years ago at Auburn. Just not panning out, but he's entering the portal. Will Norman, another solid defensive tackle from Florida. He's in the portal. Makai Muse, all you Georgia fans out there, kick returner for you. He's a receiver, probably wants to get some more reps at the receiver slot position. Uh, he's entering the portal. Nylon Green, corner from Georgia, has played a little bit. He's in. EJ Lightsley as well, from a linebacker from Georgia. Bryce Stevens, kind of a – Athlete started at corner, moved receiver back and forth. He's he's entering the portal, wide receiver from Arkansas. Alabama fans will remember Ja'Cory Brooks, really been a special teams demon for him this year. For whatever reason, hadn't been able to crack the um, the wide receiver depth chart for Alabama this year. For whatever reason, he just hadn't. I mean, people remember him for Bryce Young's last-second drive against Auburn, had the game-time touchdown. That's Ja'Cory Brooks. But hadn't really done a lot since. Had a, had a block punt against Mississippi State this year. 
But interesting, he hasn't been able to see the field. He's trying to go get some more action there. Isaiah Hastings, a defensive lineman for Alabama, he's in. The linebacker, Xavier Sori from Georgia, is in as well. And the commits around the SEC right now, he's got Toriano Pride, corner from Clemson, going back home to play in the home state of Missouri. He was a Des Met kid or Lutheran North kid out of St. Louis. I remember him coming out of high school when I was at Kansas. Uh, Carl Reed, who's on 247 Sports now, he played for him. Tor Torino Pride played for Carl Reed, obviously. Uh, but Clemson or Missouri getting him back in. Missouri's in NIL with the in-state stuff. That is massive for them right now. But just going through the transfer portal, again, just giving you some names, some key schools to keep an eye on in regards to who these guys are kind of leaning towards. Like I mentioned, it Juice Wells. Keep an eye on Ole Miss, Tennessee, Texas, and Oregon. I mean, Ole Miss was on campus trying to get in, trying to meet with him one-on-one. -on -one. So we'll see where we're at right now. But that is the portal additions since Monday. But right now, let's head it on over to my guy, Max Barr from Southeastern's 14. Dude, just true basketball guru here. Go give him the follow, at Max Barr. Dude's the man when it comes to following college basketball. Max, what's going on, brother? You got to have some game on right now. What do we got the standalone game tonight? Is it uh, – it's Iowa State. Iowa's going on right now in the living room. I'll tell you that much right now, Dave. You know me. You know me, Dave. Come on. You know how fired up I get about this Iowa stuff. State looks like they're missing Caleb Brill at all. Uh, no, I think uh, we're seeing a little bit of a Fran McCaffrey defense tonight. Well, vintage uh, McCaffrey defense, but we're about, what, we're about just over a month in, we're about over a month, I think almost to the day almost of the college basketball season. Max, you cover the SEC hard. Biggest surprises, teams you're impressed with the first month of the season, some predictions that you Felt like you kind of got right going into the season. I know it's still early. We're not even looking. I see, I see Blake's always complaining on your show about the net rankings. Just to, give me your thoughts so far through the first month of the season. Yeah, man, it's been a blitz. I mean, first, like, it feels like the first day we've been able to, like, step back and take a little bit of a breath and actually, like, look at what has happened and try to let all of it sink in. Um, initial biggest reactions would just kind of be, like, man, I wish we were healthy as a conference. That's just my first initial real thing. It's because we've left a lot of opportunities out there as a conference. You're talking about Tennessee. You're talking about Texas A&M. Some of these other teams that have not had their main guys playing some of their marquee matchups of the non-conference. So just right away, it's just like it's a little not frustrating, just a little bit disappointing that we've had a little bit of an injury bug here to start the season, but teams are getting healthy and Lopton's getting back for Florida. Tennessee's finally at full strength, even down there at the bottom. Vandy's now at full strength. So, I mean, we're getting healthy. Um, that's just probably the first main key takeaway. It's just, man, it's just been ravaged by injuries. Uh, surprise team so far has got to be South Carolina. Dave, did you watch that game last night? Oh, dude, I was more impressed with them even after the loss. I was like, they should have won that game, especially when you go when you watch Clemson play Alabama and kind of handled their own a little bit. I mean, they flexed their muscles back at Alabama. They went on that. Alabama was up what eight, kind of in the middle of the second half. They went on that 13-0 run once they put PJ Hall in. They couldn't stop yep. him. And then South Carolina felt like was up the entire game, like for the most part, made their runs, were up double digits. I was impressed with South Carolina. Yeah, and, and the best part about the South Carolina team, Dave, is they pass the eye test. They look good. They look. It's yeah. not like they're just scrapping and grinding some wins together and opponents aren't shooting well against them and this and that. They look good. This does not look like last year's South Carolina team. B.J. Mack has made a big difference with how they can play around him because uh, he often gets doubled and he's a good passer out of the post. So, yeah, South Carolina has definitely been a big surprise. Uh, maybe the team that I was the most wrong on would be probably Texas A&M. I was pretty low on them just because they lost Dexter Dennis. I was worried about Julius Marble not playing, but man, they just, this is like a team that you can tell brought a lot of the pieces over from last year. You can tell. But even to your point, Matt, you brought up health throughout the league. I mean, yeah. They've been out without Boots Radford. Radford right. and they, what was the game in Virginia? They were without him? They've been without him since about, 10 minutes into the FAU game? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like you said, the league really hasn't been healthy yet and had, and had some guys that have been getting waivers, like um, the kid from Ole Miss, Musa Cisse. Musa Cisse. And that was a team you were right on. I mean, so far I've been right on. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Cisse is just getting him back to game shape. Um, I don't, I don't want to 
say I'm, you know, this and that or right here and wrong there because, I mean, we're still very early in. I mean, look at LSU last year, Dave. I mean, they looked like world beaters in the non-conference. Would they have really, one loss heading into conference play and then beat Arkansas right? started off 1-0? Yeah, so, you know, definitely don't want to take any big of a two-overreaction, but what you are seeing with Ole Miss is Chris Beard's coaching is starting to pay off. The they got started. better every game. I, I'm just sitting on the couch. On Friday night, who are they? Who who they play on a Friday night? And it was was it the Tad? Oh, Sam Houston State, I think. Sam Houston and Detroit Mercy watching those games and like in my power rankings, I was like, they won. Good gracious, they're bad. But you see them each game. It's weird. You see they've gotten better each game. They beat NC State by double digits. Beat a solid Memphis team who beat Arkansas in Atlantis. It's like you said, Ole Miss is if they could go beat UCF on Sunday, right? That'd be massive. Yeah, it's one of those weird. One of those weird scenarios where the team has been such a patchwork and and with Cissé being out and now just cleared and now Brandon Murray still out, there's rumors he might be cleared soon. have not seen anything concrete. Um, but it's almost like the team didn't have an offseason. In those first few games, it, there are like practice. You know, Chris Beard's just throwing this guy out there, patching these two, throwing them out there, seeing what lineups work, and now you're starting to see them get better each game. So, yeah, definitely – you know, I'll say this, Dave. If you look, if you like analytics, I like them at the end of the season. I don't really like them that too much in the beginning of the season. They're hard to take too much weight off of. But the SEC has 13 of 14 teams in the top 100 of Ken Palm. So when you're thinking of like quad one and quad two wins coming down the stretch here into conference play, pretty much as if as of right now, pretty much every single opponent you're going to face in conference play is going to be a quality win. So. Mm -hmm. So right now, so the SEC's got off to a rough start. I think off the top of my head, what do they have? Eight quad three, quad four losses combined? Something like that, isn't it? Not sure the exact number, but Vandy's not doing us any help there with that number so no. far. Yeah, Vanderbilt and Jerry Stackhouse and the boys are off to a rough start. Another thing I want to give you credit for, and I think most people who follow college basketball would have agreed with this, but is the Alabama defensive mm -hmm. thing you were on. I mean, a lot of Alabama fans were on you for picking them fifth, but in reality, I mean, you can make you – know, Alabama's one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Now, on the other end of that – offensively they're one of the better teams but again once it just kind of has some it kind of has it reminds you of the team two years ago for them the 21 yep. 22 team again i think some of that was defensive effort i don't see an effort thing with this team i think some of it's just personnel and it is what it is no yeah right on and once again i don't want to go saying i'm right here or i'm wrong there because nate oates is one of the best coaches in the land and he's got some time here and he has some tests here coming up now where he can really develop this front court defense and really start to get this ball moving before we hit conference play. Uh, the thing about Alabama is they just need someone to bring out that dog. Someone when that other team, when, when Clemson puts in PJ Hall, someone should be raising their hand. I got him. You know, out of that front court group yeah. of Grant Nelson, of Waggy, of Pringle, of Jaron Stevenson. All those six, nine, and above guys. I need someone to to be that Betty Yako for the team. Yeah, I know it's not going to be a seven-footer, legit Betty Yako, but just to play that way with that you are not scoring in my paint kind of mentality, and we just have not seen it yet. But if there's any time we're going to see it, it's going to be this upcoming stretch here for Alabama because they've got some tests. Yeah, the discouraging thing for that before we move on from Alabama was – P.J. Hall didn't even play that much because he was in foul trouble. But he, yeah. still, he, he had 21 points in 21 minutes. It was like, dude, this guy got his points, whatever he wanted. I mean, remember, they went and he went on like a 7-0 run himself. And they're like, all right, we'll come get you out so we can have you for the back half of this last eight minutes. The second half, go get us a quick seven. Get us back in this, in this run. Let's get the lead. Let's get you on the bench so we can get you in the back. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was a little hard to watch from uh, – because Pringle just struggling to defend. Uh, Wagi isn't doing much either. But before we move on to this weekend's preview, what do you think about Kentucky so far? Kentucky, Arkansas, some of the other teams we've discussed. Thank you for bringing this up. And might as well just kind of call it like a who do we think can kind of win the league, who's there at the top there kind of segment. Yep. There's, like I just said, 13 teams are in the top 100. So when you look at the grand scheme of things, there's a lot of teams that are in striking distance of pushing up to that top 25, pushing up to that top five seed line. Um, and in March Madness, it's all about your seed line and opportunity. Um, and the same thing in the SEC tournament. You need to work for that seed line and work up to have that easy path in the tournament come postseason. 
There's only a few teams I'm looking at right now that I'm really confident in. One of those is Tennessee. Why? They have not been healthy yet. That last game against George Mason was the first game healthy all year. Uh, and even when healthy, one of their biggest pieces, Ziegler, is working back from an ACL, okay, and has shown some signs of rust. So Tennessee has played some of the best teams in the in the country, bar, bar none. Yeah. And they've looked fine. You know, they have not been blown out. They were getting blown out by North Carolina, battled back, and only lost by single digits. You know, and so Tennessee – will be right there. They're always going to be right there. We, Who in the SEC is going to knock them down if Kansas, Purdue, and North Carolina can't? You know what I mean? Tennessee's yeah. going to be there. Other than that, Kentucky's got to be right there, right? I mean, in my opinion, if there's a team that can win on a neutral floor against any other team that has the formula, it's Kentucky with their spacing, with their athleticism, and now they're just going to keep – this is another team. This is the theme with SEC teams, just going to keep getting better because they're going to add these seven-footers. You know what I mean? So I would say my top two right now is a firm top two with Tennessee and, and Kentucky. Well, let's see. Let me pull it up. Let's get into preview. I, I think this is the better – this is one of the best single day, I think, for the SEC we've had probably since feast week. You tell me if you agree with me or not, but let me pull it up. I'm calling it my Christmas Eve. All right, I love get into it. It, it, it. Give us any uh, superlatives in this Tulane Mississippi State matchup if you got any off the top of your head. Well, well, the name of the game for Mississippi State. What was it last year, Dave? Shooting the basketball. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm looking at the guard minute distribution. That's been very up and down. And Christians came out the other day and said he's been making some mistakes that he's not happy about from a coaching standpoint. He's been mixing up the minutes of Andrew Taylor, Trey Fort, Shaq Moore, and Davis. Uh, this this is a must-win game for Mississippi State, just not because it's Tulane, but because of the struggles leading up to this game. So whoever this lineup is for Mississippi State, however these minutes are distributed, kind of going to be how it's going to look moving forward because of how, how much pressure is on this team. Going down the line real quick, Penn is Ivy League basketball. That's all I'm going to say. Playing an Ivy League team in a big game, they're going to come to play. And it's at Penn. It's at the Palestra. Okay, so that's in hostile territory, young team for Kentucky. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Dave, real quick before I go down the rest here, because there's some very big games, what games are you most excited for? I mean, personally, obviously I think the intrigue of the tempo and for the contrast of styles here, Alabama and Purdue. Yep. I mean, I think that's number one. Also interested, Arkansas, Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's playing pretty well right now. Auburn, Indiana. Uh, I mean, I think Kansas is going to handle Missouri, especially at Allen Fieldhouse. But th I mean, those would be my three right now off the top of my head. And you could throw, obviously, Illinois is going to be a good basketball team with Brad Underwood and them rolling into Tom, the Tommy Bowl. So that'll be, I mean, we got what, one, two, three, I think four legitimate, if you consider Missouri, Kansas five. I mean, I think you got four legitimate games at, I mean, I think Purdue, especially if Grant Nelson's out for Alabama, granted he hit some big post guy, but it sounds like he hadn't practiced all week. I bet he doesn't give it a go on Saturday if he hadn't practiced all week already. I mean, I I, I just don't know how Alabama's going to really guard Zach Eady. I mean, what's your thoughts on that matchup, just from a tempo? Yep. Can you think Alabama can get them totally out of their comfort zone? So the thing is, is everybody loves to fade Purdue when they're on a neutral court uh, because their guards don't perform well under pressure, uh, under ball pressure and whatnot. Uh, this is my thing. You, when you're looking at analyzing a Purdue matchup, you can't, you cannot compare it to any other team in the country. You cannot use Ken Palm. You can't use any other analytics because Purdue is a alien of a team. Yeah. They have an alien on their team, someone that is not like any other player in college basketball. So you're not going to get a good look at it from an analytics standpoint. What you are going to look at is size and matchups and how is the team going to match up. No one really is going to guard Zach Eady. He's going to get his. Unless you're like the best interior, like you're Nate Mensa on San Diego State last year. You're Betty Yako. Unless you're that, your team's going to have to throw doubles at him and whatnot. This is my big thing with it, with Alabama that I kind of like. Even though their front court defense is so bad and everyone knows it's so bad, they've got Wagi. They've got Pringle. They've got Stevenson. They've got Diabate. That's 20, near 20 fouls they can soak up. Yeah. You know, and it's not like one of them's way better than the other. So for 40 minutes here with Alabama, 
you're going to have a 6'10 guy on the floor. No, I, you know, I, be great? Funny you said that. I had the same exact thought today because I was like, if you can just disperse those fouls out where you don't have too many guys fouled out yeah. at once. Like you said, like you said, he's gonna get his. You just can't let anyone else go. It's kind of like how back when, granted, you're comparing two different positions here, but like how my, before they, the Bulls got Scottie Pippen and some of the others are got to go help Jordan. Those teams used to let Jordan go off for forty. It's like well, nobody else is gonna go off as long as that doesn't happen. Jordan, you can have your forty. We're still gonna win this game. Yeah. So in that matchup, people are going to app go into that absolutely trash in Alabama's front court defense. And I don't think it's the right time for that. I, I think that they're going to have the bodies here to soak up some fouls and make this a game. I don't expect Alabama to get blown out, especially on a neutral floor. Um, but the game that I'm most excited for has got to be, uh, at, you know, just as a pure SEC college basketball fan, Arkansas-Oklahoma yeah. has all the makings of an incredible coaching matchup between Porter Moser and Eric Musselman. And this is probably Oklahoma's best team in the – last five years, maybe since the Trey Young days. Yeah. So both fan bases are just firing. It's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I, I, I'm so excited for that atmosphere and just that coaching matchup. But, yeah, I mean, we just got a whole slate up and down. I'm going to have, like, seven screens going at one time. No. Also, I was like, why is the Tulane-Mississippi State game at 1030 in the morning locally? I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm late. Early. No, I, <laughs> More I, for me. Yeah. Before we get you out of here, any any thoughts on the Illinois-Tennessee matchup? Yeah, so if you're uh, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to say as, as a casual fan, but if you if you just like to tune in to watch some watch some college basketball every now and then and catch up, this game might be rough on the eyeballs here. These team, this is two of the top defensive teams in the nation. Illinois starts five guys that are six six or taller. And if you've been following Tennessee basketball the past few years, that is kind of what the offense has looked like with a few sparks from Dalton connecting some new guys. But if you're a fan of watching rock fight basketball and, and just grinding out a defensive win, that's what one of these teams is going to do here uh, on Saturday. And again, sorry, I said that was the last one. Last one. Any thoughts? Who you like in this Auburn-Indiana matchup in Atlanta on Saturday afternoon? Atlanta's my stomping grounds. I could not get a you, ticket. You're, go, you're going, right? I was gonna. I was gonna. Um, but I wasn't able to get. Uh, I had that's tickets. Because that's where the Tulane Mississippi State game is. Yeah, they're both there. Yeah. They're both there. I wasn't able to get my hands on some tickets. Um, but nonetheless, this should be. And now this is probably going to be like my boldest, not boldest, because Indiana has struggled this year. But I think Auburn wins this game with ease. With ease. I'm yeah. going to say that pretty confidently. Um, and it's just because of sometimes in college basketball, teams just match up very poorly with other teams. It's not a matter of this one is way better than the other. Just kind of how the team build is set. Uh, this Auburn team is built to not let you score on the rim. They have one of the best shot blockers, but then they have a, a very, very good backup center in Cardwell also. Then they've got Jalen Williams who's one of the better power forwards in the SEC. And then Chad Baker-Mazzara is a 6'7", lengthy defensive guy that's played under San Diego State and Brian Dutcher's defensive scheme. So knows his knows how to play some defense. And Indiana's probably the worst shooting team in the country. I think they rank bottom 10 uh, in both three-point percentage and amount of uh, points that they get from three-pointers. So unless Indiana somehow breaks down the interior of this Auburn defense, I think Auburn should win pretty easily. Yeah, I'm not as down on Auburn as I've seen some people. Again, you wish some shots were falling a little bit more from beyond the arc. But it's like you just said, they're a tough matchup. They got probably the, in my opinion, probably the deepest front court in the league. Yeah. With like, with like you said, Jalen Williams, Dylan Carwell, and you got Janiah Baroom. They're going to be tough to score on. They're de- and they're deep overall. You said Chad baker Bizarre. They, they go pretty deep like overall, just with the team in general, like Katie Johnson. I mean, he starts some and he's kind of, he's a depth guy. Kind of my, he's one of those starters that's kind of their depth, one of their few depth guys. But again, I, I like their depth. I'm not down on Auburn. They just, they're for sure a tournament team. You just like to see a little bit more consistency uh, from the shooting perspective, like out of a guy like Holloway. Yeah. Yep. And, and we're going to see that progression and be patient with, with this backcourt. Okay. Because it's a work in progress. Um, but one last note about Auburn is that 
they are fourth in the nation in bench minutes, okay? And, and Indiana does not get a lot of bench production. So that's just another area where Auburn's going to be able to wear and tear on and just break down Indiana over the course of 40 minutes with Indiana not really getting much from outside. Well, guys, Max Barr from Southeastern 14. Go give him the follow at Max Barr CBB. Max, I appreciate you joining us, man. It should be a fun weekend when I was getting the show ready. Couldn't think of a better person to have on to help preview this weekend. I appreciate you taking the time, brother. Hey, anytime. Hey, 1030. Be up early on Saturday. We got basketball early, baby. baby. State Farm Arena. Be there. Be square. So long, Dave. Later, brother. Again, Max Barr from Southeastern 14 does a fantastic job. Young guy. Does a really good job. I mean, Muhammad Diabati, anything like Alabama, doesn't really play a ton. He just spit it off. I mean, he knows these all 14 of these rosters back back. He's on our show very often. Love having it on. A lot of insight from a college basketball, specifically the SEC standpoint. But just wanted to cover again, massive weekend overall in college basketball. We got a lot of good matchups. Uh, but just wanted to bring him on before we move on. And like I said, we are moving on now. Cover the transfer portal. New entries coming in. Talk to probably the best weekend of SEC basketball coming up. A lot of big matchups. But now it's time. I was sitting here the other night and I was thinking, man, just how crazy of a time is it right now in college football? Early December madness in college football. I mean, a lot going on just in college football this time of year right now. I mean, recruiting, early signing periods, December 20th through the 22nd, that Wednesday through Friday. Uh, transfer. Portal has been blowing up since Sunday, but honestly, even since last week, after since the last after most teams twelve games. Granted, the teams participating in the conference championships weren't involved in it, but still, you got player meetings. Worrying about retention, having these players are having meetings with their position coach, coordinators, head coach, player development guys. At times, just trying to see where they stand. Hey, if I'm getting news, if I'm meeting with Nick Saban. You've heard Nick Saban say, we're going to try to help our guys go somewhere if they feel like they can have, they have an opportunity somewhere else. You're trying to do a, a lot of that right now. Staff changes. I don't know if the staff's had all 11 of their full-time coaches back, whether that's through firings or coaches leaving for other opportunities. Just mentioned Alabama and Nick Saban, Cameron Hutzler, their outside linebackers coach, special teams guy. Just got the defensive coordinator job with Jeff Levy at Mississippi State. I mean, Nick Saban's done it a million times. He's the master of it, of figuring out guys uh, – dealing with coaches during playoff preparation, championship preparation, stuff like that. But every co every team in America is going through it. I talked to my guy at Texas A&M. They even have a full staff yet. They're losing commits. Retention's not there. It's just a lot going on. Bowl prep, I just mentioned it. That starts in another week for most teams. That's 15 extra practice. Most teams will probably go a week of practice. They'll go to the bowl, seat, bowl site for about five to six practices. But your analyst, your off-the-field support staff, they're starting to get that preparation for your bowl opponent right now for your favorite team. Award shows. Your team was worth a damn. Your coach, starting quarterback, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, whatever position may be, corner, offensive lineman, whatever it may be. They're at these award shows in Orlando and Vegas, wherever they may are. Maybe may your head coach and the position coaching coordinator at it as well. If you're on a good team and you're at these award shows, your favorite team's coach and staff not getting much rest right now. Not getting much rest. And I say all that not to say feel bad for these coaches who are making six figures, a million dollars, but to use this as an example of how we can, how how can we expect coaches and players to make good decisions for their program and for themselves when all that is going on? That is so much going on at once. So many distractions, so much wrong information. I think we should split up the transfer portal signing day and high school signing day, if you want me to be honest. Have two separate signing days. And I know somebody's like, well, we already have two signing days. Yeah, within five to six weeks of each other, it makes no difference. We need to get rid of that and actually have a more structured, organized signing day. Like, hey, here's the day transfer portal guys are signing. Let's do the high school signing in February like we used to. If kids want to early enroll out of high school, that's fine. They do it like how they used to. And they can get promoted on signing day in February. But you got to make this a more clear picture for everyone involved. People make better decisions when they have more information at their hand. So this leads me to my first point. I have two main points that I think need to change in college football. And this is the main issue. We need to change the college football calendar. Let me say that again for the people in the back. We need to change the college football calendar. And then you – Speaking of this, just throwing this off the hook, 
we're adding a 12-team playoff next year, and those playoffs are going to be starting earlier, and we're going to have more teams in preparation for that, plus dealing with roster management stuff. We're just, again, doing too much right now. If we separated the signing periods for transfers and high school prospects, we could relieve a lot of this anxiety and ultimately allow both parties, which when I say both parties, the coaching staff and program and individual players to make the best decisions for themselves. I mean, imagine if you had your transfer portal signing day. You're dealing with that in December. All right, we're worried about retention. We're going to do the right thing morally, help the guys out, try to get them at other spots because we all know different guys at different programs. They may need a corner. Johnny's our eighth corner. He needs to go get some reps over there. Uh, but we got our roster set from retention, who we want to go get out of the portal. Well, now the high school kids in February can go make better educated decisions because they know, all right, I don't have to go worry about getting replaced by a transfer portal. You understand the roster right now we're all throwing everything, all these recipes into one big soup bowl right now and coming up with a flavor that is just way too much. We're doing way too much right now. We can't have dessert every day of the week. We're just doing way too much. If we could just simplify this and again, allow two different signing days for your transfer portal kids and people are like, you already got the transfer portal window. That's a window. It's a window when they can be in. We need a transfer portal date where they have to be able to sign at this point. And then we got to have an individual high school just so the transfer portal kids know where they stand immediately. They're their first ones right off the shelf. And then the high school kids can go look at those rosters and make, you know what, they added three kids from the transfer portal here, added two here. I think this fits me better now. There's more information. And the schools can go let the high school prospects know, like, hey, there are two or three more kids in the transfer portal we liked a little bit better. So, you probably need to go take one of those other offers because we're not going to have room for you. Right now, a lot of high school kids and even some of the transport kids get left out with the short end of the stick because there's just too much information and too much going on right now between just player meetings, coaches being on the road all the time, coaches leaving their own campus and worrying about guys like Lane Kiffin coming on their campus and visiting guys. And that's not a shot towards Lane Kiffin. It's legal. I'd be doing the same thing. I just use it as an example. Just way too much going on right now. We have to get this college football calendar correct. That's a big issue. The second issue is the amount of times players can transfer. I'm sure I'll get killed for this. But players currently, if they want to, if they want to maximize it, they currently have three opportunities to get their destination school right. The high school, the initial high school decision at a high school, the one-time transfer they could use whenever, and then if they graduate in three, three and a half years, they got the grad transfer. You need to get rid of one of them. I posted it on Twitter today to get rid of the grad transfer. Some people were like, why would you get rid of the grad transfer? I don't really care if you get rid of the grad transfer, the one-time transfer. It just needs to be just one transfer. So that's why I said grad transfer. Just keep the one-time transfer. That's two opportunities at a high school you get to make a decision. And then just a one-time transfer. You don't need three. It ultimately hurts the growth and development of the players, whether they believe it or not. It does. If you're changing schools three to four times every three to four years, you're averaging a different school a year. How are you really going to develop? I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to really use this kid as an example, but Joey Gatewood, some of you may remember, you Auburn fans may remember, he, he was from Jacksonville, went to Auburn as a quarterback recruit, left, went to Kentucky, left. We signed him when I was at UCF, left, he moved to tight end, and then he transferred to Louisville. His kid's been to school four or five school, four schools in five years. If he would have made the transition to tight end early, stayed at a school, developed under the same tight end coach, which I know is rare. There's a lot of coaching changes all the time. It's tough to get that, and that's an issue in itself. But he may be one of the better tight ends in the country now. Maybe it's a stretch, but you'd be definitely better. You'd be more developed, especially if you set with a strength and conditioning coach that's been there the whole time. Two transfer options is plenty to try to determine where your best fit as a player is right now. I just use Joey Gatewood as an example. Players do not understand this actually hurts them in the long haul. It's just a lot of adjusting if you're changing schools every year or every two years. But for whatever reason, I mean, it could be NIL. It could be for more playing time. It could be a better system fit. But for whatever, just changing schools that many times is just – it's out of the realm. It's just way too much. At the end of the day – the transfer portal NIL have been great for college football. I don't care what some people, people new, uh, the younger generation calls them boomers. I, I'm not thinking – into college football is nowhere near in sight. College football is probably at its highest peak right now. The diehards of college football love the transfer portal because it's the new – the signing day. Remember, when, like when I was in high school in like 2008, 
there was legit drama on February Saturday. We didn't have two signing days. There were legit. You didn't know where anybody was going until you got the facts in. Facts. It's crazy to say. But, I mean, look at the numbers. College football is at its best right now. Alabama's win over Georgia in the SEC championship game averaged 17.5 million viewers plus 61% from last year's game, and it peaked at 22 million viewers. Highest viewed conference championship game in five years. College football's fine from that standpoint. It's uncomfortable for some and even myself, like I said. Absolutely. To say that the transfer portal in NIL is good. But the fact is the sport has never been more popular. So this is killing the college football crowd that are just in their fields, as the kids would say now. College football is fine. But I also think we could improve it just with these two things, changing the college football calendar, making a more specific transfer portal signing date, high school signing date, um, while at the same time acknowledging the portal and NIL have been good for the sport. We do need to reconstruct, we need to reconstruct the calendar to allow the coaches and players to make the best decisions possible. Like I said, I think that starts with having two different signing periods for transfer portal guys and high school players. Then finally, we have to protect the players from themselves. We can't let kids just keep pushing the restart button in regards to transferring three or four times in their college career. Two times, plenty, plenty. This will only help the player hit his ultimate ceiling and develop his or her fullest. His or her fullest. It really is. Again, football is the most developmental sport there is. We have to have the most information to make the best decisions along with understanding that too much of anything can be a bad thing. When I say too much, too much leeway in how often you can transfer is not a good thing for a kid's ultimate development, whether he or his family agree with that. It just is what it is. I mean, I can't tell you how many strength and conditioning coaches I've talked to that just don't real seem real jacked about their job right now because they're like, I got into this because I like seeing the developmental of these kids come development of these kids come in as freshmen, and I see them graduate. And that's even talking long haul, just through the summer, through the fall, spring. Now these kids right now, when they should be lifting in December for the winter lifting program right now, right for bowl games, getting better, they're more worried about where they're going Am I going to go into the portal, see where my value is? Is there some more playing time somewhere else? That's going to affect the strength coaches because they're just like, I mean, they're going to bring in – this program's going to bring in 10 to 12 transfer portal guys that really go work with their own trainer. They don't really care what I'm telling what I'm telling them. They're one-year mercenaries. They'll be gone at the end of the year. Stuff like that. I, I just I just think if kids really sit there and develop for two or three years under the same position coach, under the same strength and conditioning coach, because nine times out of ten, it's the same strength and conditioning coach their whole time there – it would help them tremendously develop, not even just from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint. But again, wrapping this up, two things college football needs to change. And again, college football is phenomenal right now. I think there's great things to NIL and there's great things to the transfer portal. But I do think if we can fix this college football calendar and split the transfer portal signing day and the high school signing day and making them their own two entities, plus limiting the transfers, just cut it down one. Two opportunities is plenty. We can do that. I think we can only improve this sport. Just two cents. Just kind of. I just wanted to get that off. Just wanted to get that off my chest. I. I just for whatever reason I just felt passionately about that. Just looking at it and talking to buddies in college football. Just they're just running around with their head like with a chicken with their head cut off. We're just doing a lot of things, but not doing a lot of things to a quality level, not to a high level. But moving on, SEC bowl games. We have nine of them. We got nine of them going on. Obviously, I, I'm not going to hide it from you. You know what games I'm going to rank number one. But starting at nine, I'm going to rank all these SEC Bowls from highest interest to least amount of interest. Starting off with number nine, the Texas Bowl. Texas A&M versus Oklahoma State. A&M currently favored by three somehow with all these opt-outs. But I was to check that last night. But been a lot more with Tyreek Chappelle and now Walter Dolan officially in. Weird game. A&M will be out will be out with numerous players. Uh, Elijah Robinson, the new D.C. at Syracuse, is still going to be the interim head coach. Oklahoma State, not very good, struggling. Uh, Mike Gundy's own kids entering the transfer portal. It'll be interesting. They played in 2019. I, I don't really know what to think about this game. Not real jacked about this game, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, I'm always jacked for football in a bowl game. Don't get me wrong. Relatively speaking, from the other eight games in the conference, this one just comes in at ninth to me. I feel like a lot of people would feel the same way. Coming in at eighth, the Gator Bowl. Kentucky versus Clemson. Clemson currently favored by seven, according to the DraftKings Sportsbook. Disappointing season off the top of my head for both teams, but it shows you the job Martin Stoops has done in Kentucky. I mean, a seven and five is a disappointing year for them. 
Both teams have opportunities to make themselves so better heading into the offseason. But Clemson, if they play to their potential, they should win this game. Seven, eh, I don't know if I take that. But Clemson's the better team. Again, this game doesn't really do a lot for me. But Clemson's the better football team here. Could be interesting. I'll be interested to see how the Big Blue Nation travels to that game down in Jacksonville. Number seven, the Reliable Quest Bowl. This is the former Outback Bowl. This is played in Tampa. LSU versus Wisconsin. LSU currently favored by 10 and a half. Does Jaden Daniels play? I think he's going to end up winning the Heisman this upcoming weekend. I don't know how he wouldn't. Someone brought up to me, should Jordan Travis, with the way the college football play committee ruled, would leave him Florida State out? If he mattered that much, shouldn't he win the Heisman? I think it's a fair argument you could throw in there. But I think Jaden Daniels overall, when you factor in what he did through the year and certainly what he did on the ground, has got, got to win it. But after he wins the Heisman, does he decide to go down to Tampa and play in this game? I don't know. But if not, we're going to see Garrett Nussmeyer get another look at him. Can this Wisconsin offense get anything going against this horrid LSU defense? If they can't get go, something going against the LSU defense, trouble for the Badgers. I do like LSU in this game. I mean, L- seems like LSU the last two years got matched up with some Lesser athletic Big Ten teams last year, they took it to a Drew Brees-led Purdue team down in Orlando. I like LSU in this game. This game comes in at seventh for me. Sticking to the Florida Bowls, number six, the Citrus Bowl, Tennessee versus Iowa. Tennessee currently favored by eight and a half. Contrast the styles here. This matchup is much like a, I'm not a big MMA guy, but MMA fighter with all the cool moves, which is Tennessee, against your old regular, sorry, Big Ten, your old singlet wrestler. Just, he's just going to try to get you on the ground and beat you on the ground. It's going to be a little boring. The styles are so different that this one just got the nod over the other two games I just talked about. The Clemson-Kentucky Gator Bowl, the Relia Quest with LSU and Wisconsin. This game's more intriguing to me a little bit just because of the, contra- the contrasting in styles. But Iowa can't sto- score. And if Tennessee's defense is into it at all, I, again, I don't see Iowa scoring a lot in this game. I mean, I'm sure their over-under point total will be over .5 in this game. But – Tennessee's favored by eight and a half for a reason. I like Tennessee in this one. Moving to five. Again, ranking the SEC boulders in interest for me. That's what we're doing right now. Number five, Music City Bowl. Auburn versus Maryland. Auburn currently favored by ten, two, sorry, two and a half. Another SEC Big Ten matchup. I think both teams are coming to this one. I think both of them really want to win this game because you can finish with some solid momentum. I mean, quarterback for Maryland, SEC fans are – Familiar with him, former Alabama quarterback Talia Tagalavoa. How will he play against a solid Auburn defense? You know Hugh Freeze does not want to finish with a losing record. And I know this sounds crazy because it's a one-game difference, but 7-6 and six looks a lot different than 6-7. and seven. Just the truth. It is. It's a big game for both teams here. That's why it's set up at 5 for me. It wasn't ahead of some of those other CFP bowl games. But right here, the non-CFP, I'd have put this one. I, I, it's, this is it, in my opinion. So I think there's something to be played for here. Some momentum heading into the offseason here. I like Auburn in this one, just surface level before we get diving deep into that preview. Coming in at four, the Cotton Bowl, Missouri versus Ohio State. Missouri currently favored by two and a half. Ohio State already has a lot of guys in the transfer portal. I mean, the starting quarterback, Kyle McCord's in the transfer portal. We mentioned that earlier. This has a chance to be an outstanding matchup if some of Ohio State's guys can play. Missouri is not going to let this opportunity Slip away, I don't think. I mean, to beat Ohio State would be massive for Eli Drinkwitz and his fourth-year Missouri team to finish 11-2. and two. A lot of sk- potential to be a really good skill position game. You got Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, Emeka Buka as well, Luther Burden from Missouri, Travion Henderson. We have some running backs too. Travion Henderson announced he's coming back for Ohio State. Cody Schrader from Missouri has had a solid year. Had a really good year, actually. Undersold that. But, again, what's Ohio State's interest in this game? I mean, this is a team that's coming off a playoff performance last year. This game means a lot more to Missouri. They've already sold out their allotment for this game. I like Missouri in this one, if I'm being honest, just because they're going to want to be there. But Missouri currently favored by two and a half right now, according to DraftKings. Now we're getting to the CFP games. Number three of most intriguing SEC bowl games, the Orange Bowl. Georgia versus Florida State. Georgia currently favored by 14. This completely depends on what Keon Coleman and Trey Benson do. Johnny Wilson, the other big receivers, already announced he's missing this game. He's out. He's opting out. How motivated is Georgia going to be in this one? Knowing that that program is probably more motivation than you think, just because Georgia's not going to want to go lose two games in a row. They haven't done it since the 2018 season when they lost Alabama in the SEC championship. They went down to New Orleans, got embarrassed by Tom Herman in Texas. That's the last time they've lost two in a row. Florida State should look a little better with a month to prepare 
getting Tate Rotomaker back. They should look more improved than they did in that Louisville game. This all depends on what Georgia team shows up and how serious are they in this trip. Or is this just a vacation to them? I don't think the way Kirby Smart leads this program, that's going to be the case. They're the better team. They're favored by 14 for a reason. I like Georgia in this game. And, again, because I don't know how many of Florida State's guys. It wouldn't shock me if Keon Coleman announced tomorrow he's opting out of the game. So I, I like Georgia ultimately. Could be close, though. Number two, the Peach Bowl. Ole Miss versus Penn State. This really, uh, besides the non-obvious, is the number one for me. Penn State currently favored by three and a half. I love this matchup. Both teams should not have many opt-outs. The Ole Miss offense versus the Penn State defense will be the matchup to watch here. And Ole Miss has shown they can they can win some lower scoring games here. While Penn State has kind of been whatever, the defense is actually pretty solid. Penn State didn't have any real notable wins. They've lost to the two teams that they were not favorites against, Ohio State and Michigan. But you know Lane Kiffin wants to avenge the Sugar Bowl loss from two years ago. And, again, I know this isn't the Sugar Bowl. It's the Peach Bowl. But Ole Miss this will be their second CFP Bowl game in three years. Not a lot of teams across the country. He says – this would be big for Ole Miss and this Lane, and Lane Kiffin's program to get a big win against an historic program like Penn State. He's going to get his opportunity this year. I'm fired up for this matchup. This will be interesting. This will be interesting. And then number one, the Rose Bowl. Come on, guys. Alabama versus Michigan in the Rose Bowl. When the sun's setting on that afternoon in Pasadena. If you've never been to the Rose Bowl, I went in 2009 when, Alabama, when I was a student in Alabama and they played Texas in the national championship. Nick Saban's first national title in Alabama. Fantastic. I, I, the Rose Bowl is an awesome, awesome stadium. Now, the, the terminals and getting in and out of the bathrooms, that's another story. It's a total pain in the butt. But, again, you can't get more traditional than Alabama versus Michigan. Michigan currently favored by one and a half in this game. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be an awesome game. This is number one, hands down. But, like I said, the non-obvious college football playoff semifinal game, I love that Ole Miss Peach Bowl, Ole Miss Penn State. Peach Bowl. I really do. Florida State, Georgia, again, could be interesting depending on who plays for Florida State. I think Missouri is going to want to be at the Cotton Bowl more than Ohio State. The non-CFP ones, I think there's a lot to play for in this Auburn-Maryland game down in Nashville for the Music City Bowl. Big momentum game to carry into the offseason. Again, Hugh Freeze is not going to go. He does not want to have that losing record in his first year. He wants to have that 7-6 and six record. But again, just thought I would rank the college football, the SEC Bowl games 1-9 through nine for you. There you have it. But a couple more things to cover before we get you out of here on this episode of Mike Ten Sports. Again, appreciate you joining us. Go like, subscribe. Tell me how bad I am. Tell me how my opinions suck. And I haven't helped you win money this year. Even though we did finish right at about 50%, just under 49%. We're going to be better next year, 60%. But college basketball season's on the way too now. Once conference play starts, even this weekend, I'll tweet some things out for you. But again, go like, subscribe. This content's free. I've worked in the industry. I feel like I know a lot about college athletics. It's why we bring you this show covering the big three, football, basketball, and baseball in the SEC. You can find us on all, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, wherever you find your podcast. Go give us a listen, guys. Just tell us how you feel, too. But a couple other issues. Bill Baker, the new NCAA president, came up with a new proposal. If you don't know Bill Baker, first-year NCAA president, former governor of Massachusetts, he announced his proposed rule changes this week that would allow schools to funnel more money to their players and create a new subdivision in which the wealthiest tier of college athletic departments could make rules that better fit their financial reality. I'm reading the ESPN article here for a minute, just to let you know. Excuse me. Baker's proposal offers two new options for schools to provide money to their athletes. First, all Division I schools will be able to sign name, image, and likeness deals with their athletes. For example, Oregon could pay a future quarterback to use his picture on a billboard promoting the team's upcoming season, or Nebraska could pay its volleyball players for social media posts that encourage fans to buy tickets to an upcoming match. The second mechanism that was presented from Bill Baker, remember, first-year NCAA president, former U, I was about to say UMass, Massachusetts governor, the second mechanism for paying players would be through an enhanced educational trust fund. This is the one you need to pay attention to. Baker proposed creating a new subdivision for schools willing to set aside extra money for their athletes. To be, hear me out here. This is key. To be a part of the new subdivision, schools would have to give a minimum, a minimum, $30,000 per year to each of at least half their scholarship athletes, essentially creating a minimum wage for someone. In my opinion, I'm reading this a little bit as, hey, this is going to be some revenue sharing, but we're not going to call it revenue sharing. That's just my opinion. That's not what I'm reading. I'm just reading the article, so I'm being clear for you here. Back to the article. For an average power 
conference athletic department, this would mean a minimum investment of roughly 70 mil to $10 million each year, which in most cases would be less than 10% of the annual budget. Don't listen to that last part. A lot of these national media people want to pretend that we have money trees growing in these athletic department budgets when most of these universities operate in the red. And again, from what I'm hearing from talking to some clients, people who have their ears on the ground with NCAA, there's going to be anywhere from 65 to 70 schools that could be a part of this. But again, that's $7 million, $10 million a year. You're just giving to some of your student athletes. But for the trust fund, Title IX would likely, this is another key part, really one of the major key parts, Title IX would likely dictate that schools distribute proportionate amount to women and men, obviously Title IX. For example, the school's total trust fund for athletes is $10 million. Remember we talked about they at least had to give each student athlete $30 million. That was the minimum wage. If they have a budget for $10 million, and remember these schools can go up as much as they want. Thirty, They could pay their student athletes on average $50,000 a year if they want, but thirty is just the cover to get in the club. But say it's $10 million, like it's stating. Half of it has to go to the varsity athletes that are women. That's $5 million that would have to go to your women, to, to the women in athletics. Now, again, that's not dispersed between all your student athletes that are women. That you could, That's the money. So you could give, for example, Livy Dunn, the famous gymnastics person, girl for LSU or woman for LSU. You could give, or the Caitlin Clark, woman who plays basketball for Iowa. You could give her all that $5 million out of that 10. It doesn't say you have to disperse it to throughout the whole all your women women athletes. It could it just the money, fifty percent of the money has to be dispersed to some kind of women. This is where it gets dicey, in my opinion, because most, if not all, women's sports do not bring in revenue. And unless you've been living under a rock, most people know only football and most men's basketball programs bring in money. It, most baseball programs don't. I mean, I, I remember looking back in 2017 or 18, LSU, who's just coming off winning a baseball national championship, they only brought in, I think, $800, $900 of revenue. They sell out all their home games. Baseball doesn't bring a lot of money. I just do not see how a lot of people – I don't see a lot of people signing up for this, honestly. Again, first proposal here by Baker, and tip of the cap to him, he is moving the ball down the field in some form or fashion. He's trying, which is more than you could say about Mark Emmer. But these athletic departments are not run like normal businesses. If they were, a lot of them would have filed bankruptcy a long time ago because a lot of them operate, if not all of them, operate in the red. And at the very least, if you want to operate, if they were operating like normal businesses, they would only play football, basketball, and maybe one other sport. Like at a school like Ole Miss, they play football, men's basketball, and baseball. Same with LSU. A lot of schools would probably pick baseball. Maybe some school would pick women's basketball. These schools don't have magic money growing on trees on the campus like these national media people like Dan Walken and Pat Forty and these guys think. They say, oh, this is how much X amount they brought in this year. Well, you didn't see how much they spent either on travel, food, the women's golf team flying everywhere and eating when they don't bring any revenue. Coaching staffs may shrink a little bit as well. Same with coaching salaries because you're having to go get 50% of it to women's athletics who's not generating any money. If this is the case, this is essentially, hey, Football and men's basketball. We're gonna take that. We're gonna take that revenue you created because of Title IX. We're gonna give it to the women just because we want to live in utopia. We want to live in utopia, a perfect world where everybody gets the same amount. And if you're for a capitalistic society, this is not. You wouldn't be for this. My point being, I think we forget that everyone needs a piece of the pie just for the sake of doing the right thing. I think we all just make women's athletes, they need it too. Again, Livy Dunn, Caitlin Clark, those women do fine getting NIL deals themselves. If you're that impactful or that big of an influencer as a female athlete, go get your own NIL stuff. That's fine. But I think if you're for capitalism, essentially, and not getting on some political or any talk like that, why should the women's sports get what the football team and the men's basketball team generate? It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. Because remember, if you have a $10 million budget, you're gonna the, these athletic departments are going to give to their schools. If you're one of these 65, 70 schools who can afford it, essentially separating the haves and have-nots, you have to give $5 million into that if you have a $10 million budget to women's athletics. It could be one woman. But you got to give it to some side. That $5 million is not going to male athletics, to football, or men's basketball who's generating that revenue. 
just I, I don't know how many people are really going to sign up for that when you really break it down. This was released by the NCAA, so I'm sure they got some positive feedback about it. But I'm sure they released it on their own just trying to see how people would react to it. It seemed like Greg Sankey was a little pissed off about it because he was left out of the loop. Didn't seem like they brought it up to the uh, athletic directors or the board or the boards. It sounded like a talking to Greg Sankey or seeing an article he's written in. So he had different feedback. But that was just mine. I think essentially they're trying to get rid of collectives here. Collectives would be meaningless here. Maybe at best some collectives would deal with the higher end prospects um, for football after this. They'd be left out of the loop for the most part because it would all be done internally through these educational funds. It'd be done through the athletics department. You wouldn't need these collectives anymore. And the NCAA isn't fans of collectives, so this is their way to budge them out. But again, just wanted to bring this up. That's another talking point. Another talking point that I thought was interesting. I saw this on Football Scoop. Bill Bush, former college coach, he was on some show, I forget what it was. He made a point, call it make a play, get paid. Bush has a significant background. He's coached at Nebraska, I believe, three different stints as well. He's been at Ohio State, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Utah, Utah State, uh, New Mexico, I think, won. So he brings an interesting perspective. He's worked in this industry before. Veteran college coach. Bush lays out a situation where a player makes a big play, and he said throw on the Jumbotron, flash the player's Vimbo account on the screen, allowing fans to donate a real time, and then the screen tracks and displays the total donations coming in live for all to see. I'll be honest with you, that would be pretty cool. I don't know how longevity that is, but or realistic that is, or the hurdles the NCAA would have to, you'd have to get over the NCAA for that. But could you imagine how much money Auburn fans would have donated to Chris Davis right off the bat after the kick six return? Or how much a kicker, if he kicks a game winning field goal at home, would get? If he kicks the game winning field goal and they pop up his Venmo account, you know, how many people are donating to that. Or Michael Crabtree in 2008 when he made it, when they scored in the last play of the game, uh, him and Graham Harrell to beat Texas, put up Michael Crabtree's Venmo account up there. How many people are throwing money out there? I mean, really, the Chris Davis one comes to mind. Can you imagine that? Or if the Alabama-Auburn game from two weeks ago was in Tuscaloosa, you throw in Jalen Milrow and Isaiah Bond, both their Venmo accounts up there, what would that What would that look like? I mean, that, that, that's that's crazy. That would be really interesting. That would be interesting feedback. I think it's an outside-the-box thinking. I mean, like I said, there's likely some NCAA or legal red tape regarding NIL donations that you'd have to get sorted through if this were even a thing they would even mess around with becoming reality. But it, I think it's a fascinating idea that would ultimately get everyone involved in game, making games fascinating and interactive experience for everyone watching. I think it's a solid idea. Now, I do think you may, the coaches may get some, like, hey, man, you you gave Johnny five touchdowns today. He got his Vimbo. He got two touchdowns. His Vimbo's up there. He's got $10,000 after this game. I didn't get any. I only got two touches, coach. Maybe dealing with that, but there's always going to be – you could always poke holes and things. I thought it was an outside-the-box thinker there. I really did. I thought it was an outside-the-box thinking um, perspective from that standpoint. So I just wanted to bring that up before we got you out of here. And we're just over an hour. We've gone over we, – what have we gone? 63 minutes. I appreciate you joining us, guys. I feel like we covered a lot. Again, one of the more well-rounded shows overall. We touched on a lot of topics. T touched on some transfer portal stuff. Some big names, Trevor Etienne, Juice Wells, be on the lookout for some of those guys there. And obviously, Walter Nolan. Seems like everyone's leaving Texas A&M right now. Talked a little bit about that. We brought Max Barr in from Southeastern 14 to preview the big matchups across the SEC in basketball this week. at Alabama, Purdue, and Toronto. Illinois heading to Tennessee in the Tommy Bowl. You got Indiana, all Auburn, and Atlanta. The Hoops Giving Classic. Uh, what else you got? You got Missouri, Kansas. You got, uh, I said Auburn, Indiana. What's the other game I'm missing? You got – oh. Arkansas, Oklahoma, like Max said, Christmas morning, if you're an SEC basketball fan, that'll be taking place. I gave you two things we needed to fix in college football. And, again, college football is fantastic right now. Numbers are through the roof. Couldn't be any better. But, again, we got to change the college football calendar. I think we got to tighten up on how many times people can transfer. And I hear all the time, well, coaches can leave whenever they want. Well, coaches are employees. College athletes right now, student athletes are currently not. Come on, you make the decision out of high school and get one – free transfer no matter what's going on. I think that's plenty of time. And these kids don't understand it. It's hurting their development, mentally and physically. Then I talked about uh, Mr. Baker, the new NCAA president, Charlie Baker bringing in his idea of potentially separating the haves and have-nots to give you the synopsis, the layman's terms, is the teams who can afford to bare minimum pay their student-athletes $30,000, which would only be from talking to people probably anywhere from 65 to 70 teams, 
kind of pretty much power five, give or take a few teams, would be separating themselves to go handle their own business, have their own set of rules, maybe make student athletes employees. Interesting things going to be Title IX with that, though. Brought up Bill Bush, an interesting thing. Make a play, get paid. He's talking about if a player makes a big play, put his Venmo up on the uh, Jumbotron. Let people go donate money to him. I think it's an outside-the-box idea. But, again, I appreciate you joining us on Mock 10 Sports. Do not forget to go like, subscribe. Tell us how bad we are, why we suck. I hope you enjoy this show as much as I love putting it on. We got a lot coming up. Busy, busy time. We got nine bowl matchups here within the next month. Transfer portal going through January 4th. College basketball is just starting to get whipped up. We're like we're about just under a month from conference play heating up in college basketball. Uh some coaching changes maybe happening still. Some people filling some staffs. Texas AM still has a few hires. But again, I'll keep you updated. Follow me on all my social media accounts at Mock 10 Sports. But again, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports, this December 7th episode. You have a fantastic weekend. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.